Hi everyone, welcome to Training with Casey, where we explore animal training and living our best lives with animals. I'm Joseph Laughlin, producer of this podcast, and now here's your host, Casey Covert. Let's get started. Hey everybody, welcome to Training with Casey. I'm your host, Casey Covert, and I have today my respected friend and colleague, Melissa Bergeron, and Melissa... Um, you're a professional trainer, dog sitter, pet walker, right? Yes. So you're covering a pretty broad field. And I met you because you joined our perception modification certification class group recently. And I've been very impressed with the work you do. I, uh, got to participate in it a little bit and i'm i got so excited that i can't wait to share all of this with people um i i i'm kind of speechless so i'm going to turn it over to you tell us about these dogs that you were working with so they're pewdle pointers and pewdle pointers are hunting dogs um, they have a very strong prey and, um, my client, their dad does a really good job at, um, utilizing that part of them. Like he, he takes the bird hunting, um, he's doing right now force fetching training. Um, but one thing that I realized when I first met them was how high strung they were. He didn't, he didn't like that term. Um, but they are very high energy dogs, as you can imagine, because what, you know, their, their innate ability to hunt prey, that's, that's what they do. And, you know, there's a time and a place for that hyper energy, but for them, that was prevalent just on a regular basis. So when they I started training had them. One speed kind of thing. Absolutely. One speed. Yeah. Um, and when I trained them, I, before I met you, I was using balance training, um, you know, operant, the, the four, um, quadrants and definitely made a difference. Um, but I felt like we were hitting a wall because there was a lot of reinforcing that needed to happen. Um, and you know, what I realized was I was depending a lot on the client, you know, the, the dog's owner to follow through once I finished. And that's a lot to ask of, of someone who's hiring you to train their dog. Right. Um, right. And, and be and like we, your doctor asking you to please take your stitches out and <laughs> yes, yes. And so I felt like I was hitting a wall with not even the extent of my knowledge, but just the whole training system that I was learning. And it was so prevalent around me. And um, I just, I don't know why I thought that was just the only way to train dogs. And then some condition relaxation, um, one of the trainers I was uh, a colleague with, she brought it to my attention. Um, and it was, um, a behavioral down as, as we 
spoke about. Um, but I was really impressed because it was like nothing I had heard about in the in the balance training um, that I was a student of. And so I looked into this trainer and I thought, well, how's he certified? I want to know where, you know, because his whole, he's just coming from a whole behavioral standpoint. Um, he was doing a lot with having the dogs work through their own fear, you know, like the dogs were kind of working through it themselves. Um, and then I saw that he got certified through SATS like 20 years ago. So that's how I met you. Um, but then, but then, you know, you started talking to me about how, you know, through your SATS, dogs can self-manage. And that was, whoa, you know, that was a big aha moment for me. Um, but the more that I'm learning, it's just fascinating to me because it just throws out everything that I knew before. Really? And yes. You know, and it felt far-fetched. I won't lie. When I first <laughs> heard that, it felt very far-fetched. I remember you seemed pretty skeptical <laughs> as in, and, are you sure I should be in this class? <laughs> and, and I even said, you should not be in this class unless you cannot help yourself. And here you are. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and something was just, but the thing is to me, far-fetched isn't a bad thing, you know, um, I don't know. It's like, I'm, I'm very open-minded to try new things. And it was almost so far-fetched that I thought, I think this is actually going to be successful. And um, yeah, I, I just, the way that we communicate with them, you know, the name and explain and how we have a narrative with them. That's so different. The exact opposite of what I've been taught in in the whole you know um balance training it's like you don't talk to the dog you ignore them you know you ignore the behaviors you don't want you um you know treat the behaviors you do want and so different from you know from here it's almost like we're downgrading their intelligence yeah. doing it that way and then doing it sats away it's like wow it's it just the connection the immediate connection that I felt like the old way was suppressing, you know, I just have a different bond with them already. Yeah. yeah. That uh, sets is the only thing I do. And it's the only thing I have done for 30, 40 years. So I don't, you know, I, I don't feel it the same way you would, but all I know is that when I decided to leave working for oceanariums and zoos and things like that. I never wanted to train an animal again, unless they wanted to do it as much as I did. So if you look at the videos, a lot of times the animals are at liberty. We don't use any leashes or collars. Um, we do use them for safety backup. Like if you're outside, you need to have a leash on a dog. That's the law and, and you need it for safety. Um, in At the stable, the horse would have a halter on, you know, if they were going to be out of their stalls. But it is not an instrument 
of control or education. You know, we communicate independently of all devices. And to a large extent, that's even independent of food. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, because we're going to see in a minute how these dogs started out with you, but you did <laughs> make progress and then you felt you hit the wall. Can you describe the wall? The the wall when with balance training? Uh, with these dogs. Um. So, yes. Uh, you mean before I found you, before I found Okay. Staff. So, um, it just seemed like they were breaking place a lot. Like we, um, <clears throat> we would show them a lot of positive reinforcement and a lot of negative reinforcement. Um, and I use treats a lot with them. So they were relying a lot on that. Um, and I had to be careful that they weren't doing what I was asking them for the treats. And not only that, but, you know, when I'm not there, um, like their housekeeper, you know, he'd come in and he would do the treat thing. And, you know, not being a dog trainer, you don't understand that, you know, you're creating a bad behavior. Um, We're doing like they're jumping up and down and so on. And they're getting a treat. Absolutely. Um, but the wall came, it was more behavioral, the wall that I hit. So, so we were doing everything that we knew, you know, the timing, the motivation, the consistency, everything, all the elements that I learned in the balance training, but it was there. They were still very, um, emotional. They were, uh, very hyper. Um, they couldn't calm down. It was, it was like, it was almost uncomfortable, you know, mm. um, you know, like when you meet someone, you're just like manic. It was like, it was like, if you met a manic person and I was like, how do we get through that? You know, like, yes, they're sitting while we're telling them to sit, they're going to place, they're staying. Although one of them wasn't staying on place. She kept breaking it. But, um, but my point is it was more emotional. It was, um, it was like, they were just, they were manic and no amount of balance training. I, from my experience was fixing that. So I felt like I needed to come from a different perspective (laughs) no pun intended, you know? (laughs) Um, and, um, that's why when I read about you and read about sats, I thought that sounds, that sounds like something that I think would benefit these these dogs, and then another client of mine too, because I felt like I hit a wall with them as well. So, you know, we're doing everything. I laid out a whole training plan for them. I gave them homework, you know, um, they were reinforcing what I was telling them to reinforce, but their dogs were calm. They weren't relaxed, like ever. Even when we had them in a down, um, they just seemed like their default was, hyper you know it was just very um now I'm trying not to say things that I've learned in your class but but like the dopamine you know like now I get the whole dopamine thing as I'm explaining this to you but in the my experience at that time I didn't know anything about the dopamine you know that that you've mentioned but now as I'm explaining it it's so prevalent in retrospect 
Yeah. Wow. Well, good for you that you were willing to suspend disbelief and to, you know, go a little on the wild side. I remember one of our first certified trainers. Um, I did a talk with, there were six speakers at the University of Utrecht, and it was on animals, cognition, well-being. And there were six speakers, and one was Dr. Jane Goodall. And one was Dr. Irene Pepperberg and Dr. Jan Van Hope and Dr. Jan Hofmeyer uh, and um, Dr. Valerie Yonker Sheehy and me. And all of these people believed animals were cognitive. And it was my job to lead people into practical ways to access that part of their animal that aspect of their animal. So I wanted to show them this fascinating video we have of two-way communication with my horse. And the lead trainer in the Netherlands says, please don't do that. And I said, why? They'll think you're nuts. I go, but it's the most amazing thing we're doing. Yeah, yeah, it is that. Well, why don't you want to show people that? It's already enough that you're changing these dogs like as we speak and then you're teaching them all this stuff so quickly and they just will not be able to get their minds around it. And they'll think you're crazy. And I said, really? Did you think I was crazy? <laughs> and she goes, yeah. And I said, well, you signed up to get certified immediately. And she goes, yeah, well, I knew you were crazy, but I wanted some of that crazy. <laughs> uh -huh. So having now some of that crazy for yourself, how do you think of it? I'm getting results. So I think of it as a smart move, <laughs> you know, and um, I think a scientific lot of way to, you know what I mean? Like yes. it isn't scientific to project ahead of yourself. This is my ideology and I'm sticking to it. The scientific perspective is to study what will solve this problem, for example. Yes. And to be flexible, to evolve. Yeah. There's a lot of things that, oh, in fact, in our session together, we'll talk to people about this, but um, there's something that we tried at this session we did together that I had never tried with animals before. And I remember saying to you, this is gonna seem crazy. I think I said that, but just go with me. And you did. And the person that had less experience, like wasn't in the class and everything, they were kind of like, how did I get here? <laughs> yeah, I, I felt that too. Um, but he did it and he saw the results, you know, and he was amazed because he's known these, these dogs for, since they were puppies and um, what Shotzi's four and Birdie's two. So even though he may have felt silly doing the exercise in that short amount of time, he saw the, the, the train, the change that we saw, you know, because the, it literally happened 
it happened in minutes, didn't it? Yes. So the total training session turned out to be about 40 minutes long, but the actual change happened very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk about this um, because we've got some really wild threshold stuff to talk about tonight. It was really great to have this adventure together. So thank you for including me. And um, it, it's kind of crazy how the whole thing evolved because when you take a class um, on perception modification, which is what Melissa did, you don't normally get personal coaching, live personal coaching. You get video coaching. We go over your videos and so on and so forth. And people are very effective. It, it seems to work really great. But Melissa got a new job. And so she's moving away from these clients. She doesn't have a dog right now. She needs to finish her certification requirements and get her clients situated for success before she leaves the area. So in order to accomplish this, we teamed up together to do a little bit of extra work. And wow, it's so lucky because you guys aren't going to get to see everything, but we do have some videos for you. Uh, if you take the class, you'll get to see everything because we have the entire 40 minutes and it's the subject of our next class. So I think maybe what we should do now is show people what you met at the door. Oh, this was a few, um, this was last month. So I had a pet sitting stint with them. It was 10 days. And then, um, and that's when I started introducing SATs to them. And then we had about a month in between. And now I'm back for a couple of days mm -hmm. uh, with them. So this was um, last month before I even introduced any SATS training to them whatsoever. So this, this is, is like the old dogs. Yeah, this is what you met at the door, right? Yes. Okay. And and what we don't have is what what you start where you were when you started with SATS. We don't have that video, but we may find it and, and add it for the class. Okay, mm -hmm. so are y'all ready? Here we go. A minute and 19 seconds. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Happy to see you. Yes. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, all right. I'm going to let you out. I'm going to let you out. Now, I know name and explain oh. by now. So I'm kind of starting there with it. Like now I'm doing that narrative that you, that I learned in our class. Cause normally I would be ignoring them because I was taught you ignore the behavior you don't want, you know, reward the behavior you do want. But in SATs, it's like a narrative, right? Like you, you start yeah. communicating with them. So that's what I'm starting right here. Wow. Wow. That's good timing. Yeah. <laughs> That's good time. Yeah. Okay. I and, agree. and they do resolve a little bit here. Here we go again. Easy. 
Easy. barking and so on oh for at least three minutes I would think yeah um at least three minutes and um when I came back this time around it was yesterday they weren't in their crates they were in the kitchen um and it was you know I I don't know if I had the video oh no I was on class with you um right I was listening to the class when I arrived here yesterday and I actually put the camera on them, but you were teaching. So I was just showing whoever could see what was happening when I was arriving. Um, That's right. Yes, yes. And <laughs> it was such a difference. So even, you know, you have that recorded class um, from yesterday. So maybe you could go and see it and you'll see the difference already. Yeah. Like they yeah. did jump up on the, on the, on the, the gate but uh, and they you know did the you know sound but it was nothing like what we just saw yeah so I already noticed a big difference but and I was telling them the mood that they were going through I said this is alert now get easy yeah what I'll contrast that with from uh our conversation with um the gentleman that we'll see them from time to time. The housekeeper is Mm -hmm. he pointed out that he had known these dogs since the owners had had them in one case, four years and things had never improved in his relationship with the dogs. They were constantly barking and constantly really, really aroused and elevated in his presence and that's why he has the treats that i was telling you about earlier because for him that's how he can control that because they will listen to him they'll stop jumping to get that treat so that he almost uses the treat you know as a as a protected (laughs) yeah like an interrupt right stop that now right Right. wow well we have another video and what do you think should we talk about how you got here first or should we just show the video um before let's let's show the video and then we can um maybe that will bring up some questions so this was today good good easy girl Shotzi good easy girl Bertie can you get easy for me it's a nice, easy body. Can you give me easy? Oh, good, easy girl. Look at that. What a wonderful, easy girl. It's almost like she knows what you're saying. Look at yep. these good, easy girls. That's wonderful. Can you alert? Alert? Good girl, Birdie. Shotzi, alert? Alert? Come on, Shotzi, alert? Good. Good alert. Okay. Can you get easy again? Get easy. 
Oh, Shotzi, what a good, easy girl. Good, easy girl, Shotzi. That's amazing. Yeah, it really is because, well, now I'm glad we showed that because, um, because from the, that session that we did yesterday that we were talking about and, and that you tried something you've never done before, um, that made all the difference with Shotzi because Birdie was getting the easy. She was getting the toggle down, you know, the, um, the alert and the easy and Shotzi was getting there, but I felt like I had to hit a little wall with her. And then we did that exercise yesterday and now you saw what the results today. She went right into her easy. Yeah. So this is what we often see. And it's really remarkable because with most of the training that I see, there's a worry about enforcing the training on an ongoing basis. The dog mm -hmm. has to wear an e-collar. The owners have to follow up. They have to do their homework. They have to learn to handle the lead. They have to learn to handle the cues. You're saying what you're seeing here. I'm not seeing you putting your hands on a dog and nope. making them get easy. No. Nope. You are just talking with them about what they are choosing to do. Right. And it's night and day, you know, uh, little bit ago, like two days ago, they were still choosing to be aroused. Like even mm -hmm. if they didn't stay aroused all the time, they were aroused when you arrived. Right. They were yeah. aroused when, did you have to go away today? Did you have to come back to the house and see them? Or were you there all day? Um, I walked out uh, to get the mail and to take out the trash. Um, so I was gone for maybe a couple of minutes at most. But even when I would do that in the past, they would, they didn't like it and they would bark and, and make noise like, where are you going? But this time I told them what I was doing and I didn't hear anything. I didn't hear any reaction, any sound. When I came back, you know, they were happy to see me, you know, almost like, okay, she came back, but it's like, they just understood what I was doing and, um, and they were, yeah, they were much calmer. It's just like their default now is that such a, their demeanor is just like a couple levels down, you know, it's like, now that's mm -hmm. their default, but before it was like a 10 and now it's like a, a five, you know, yeah. and for them, that's big. <laughs> that's well, big. I mean, they look well within normal limits here. Yes. You know, they're, they're just hanging out. You're not telling them uh, what they have to do, but you're commenting on what they're choosing to do. I, yeah. I think that's a big thing that people have a hard time getting their head around. So I gave a talk at the Penn Vet Working Dog Conference in 2013. And the title of my talk was Inspiring Dogs to Self-Driven Excellence. There is such disbelief that the dogs will want to do the work, will want to have high standards for what they do, that they will be detail-oriented, that they will really master these things for their own reasons. 
And it's so much so that I was in Australia and um, helping some people with a dog in customs. And she was a beautiful little beagle. And they were about to retire her. And the reason they were going to retire her was not that she was not doing her job. It's that she didn't want their ball. Hmm. So there's so much dependence on the dog being crazy to get a ball. And that's what causes them to do this work so they could get the ball. And the dog is like frantic about it. Mm-hmm. And this dog didn't want the ball. And I said, well, have you tested her performance? Well, no, let's do that. So during training, you know, you'll, you'll hide samples and so on and so forth. And you know that there are samples there and you can measure how accurate is this dog? What percentage of misses are there? All that kind of thing. And for the things I saw, the dog did really well. I'm still not sure of what they decided to do. And whatever they decided to do the next day, they might make a different decision two weeks down the line anyway. But it was really great to be able to have this conversation with them and invite them to reconsider the way they looked at the dogs that here's this dog that does a really good job mm-hmm. simply because she loves her people. She loves her job and she's happy to do it. And she doesn't want your dang, ugly, smelly, slobbery ball. <laughs> and for that, she was about to lose her job. Hmm. So yeah. it's very um, sobering. Well, when we approach, uh, what we're doing here, folks, is called perception modification. And it's called perception modification because we're not asking an animal to suppress his fear or his dislike. We are leading the animal to see things differently. And you're seeing it right here. A dog, two dogs in this case, who previously like to bark their heads off and work themselves up into extreme arousal, now like to relax. And I'd like to add one thing, Casey, that they were so food motivated before I found SATS. And, you know, and one thing that I learned, you know, with other mentors that I worked with and balanced, you know, an operant training was, you know, motivation, you know, dogs are motivated by food or prey, but I found in, in SATS, um, dogs that are a level 10, like in, you know, an energy and anxiety that I feel like once they learn that there's a, an opposing state, that that's their motivation. Like, I feel like it must feel better to them to be able to calm down and not be absolutely that like, you know, ah, you know, so to me, there's a third type of motivation, you know, especially for dogs like that. Absolutely. And this is what we're talking about. I mean, look at ourselves, you know, are you going to live your life a certain way because 
of what somebody else thinks about you or because of the person you choose to be or the person you're choosing to become. Uh And somebody, um, I wish I could remember who expressed it this way, but they said, if you knew your mother didn't want you to drink, and you didn't have a good relationship with your mother. You might drink in front of her to irritate. Her. If you had a good relationship with your mother and you didn't want to upset her, you might avoid drinking in her presence, but drink on your own all the time. Yep. But if your mother was successful in leading you to understand and appreciate why she didn't want drinking for you. You might choose to avoid excessive consumption of alcohol for your own reasons. And that's what we're doing. It's a different perception. Yeah. Not for explanation. Yeah. So they're not just hiding it away from her. They understand where she's coming from. And now they kind of understand, you know, and now they're deciding that, that's what they want as well. Yeah. And we're seeing it right here. Now, you guys might be wondering, our listeners might be wondering, uh, what do you do to get to this? And I can tell you right now, it's not going to fit into a podcast. Melissa's <laughs> on week 10 out of 20 of mm-hmm. a class that's pretty intense. We meet for at least two hours a week for a live coaching and video review and, you know, other information. And I don't know, like on a degree of difficulty, engagement, effort, however you classify these things, was this difficult? Was it interesting? Was it if I just stick it out, I'll get to the end. What's the process been like from your perspective? Um, it's like nothing I've ever done. So it's very, it's fascinating. Um, and I'm not just dis- discovering new things about dogs and dogs' behavior, but myself too, and mm. human, you know? Um, and, you know... It's like I'm realizing how much I I cared about, you know, what I like, what I look like when I'm doing something. And it's like, hold up, you know, it's humbling. You know, it makes you look at things a different way. Um, it allows me just to to be open minded. But, you know, it's like there's not just one way to do something. And I wasn't getting the results that I wanted the way that I was doing it. So it's like, it's just, it's fascinating to, to see how everything is unfolding. Um, And I really don't know what to expect. I think that's another (laughs) exciting aspect of it. I don't know what's coming next. I really don't. And it's exciting because I know that it's going to be very different and, and effective, you know, like there's, so even when I got this new job opportunity and Um, you know, I thought, oh, I guess I have to stop the class, but I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to because 
one, I love dogs and I want to always work with them, even if it's on the weekends or, you know, at night or what, whatever. But two, it's like, this is so powerful that I don't care what I'm going to be doing like this. And, and it's so it's not only powerful, but it's effective in such a short amount of time that it's going to allow me to be a successful trainer if I'm only doing it on the weekends. Right. You know? And, and, and that's, that's a beauty. Woman, but you can still work with aggressive dogs. You can yeah. still work with big dogs. As you get older, you can still work with, you know, I still work with big animals. So, yeah. yeah. So that, um, one of the things that, that I'm so eager to share with you guys is what the new step was that we did here yes. that just had this amazing effect and we're still testing things, but I think we're writing a new chapter in SACS. But first of all, I'm just going to, going to tell you a little bit about the standard process that we've been teaching. So you can get this if you go to my website, sinalia.com and at the top of the page, there's a little menu, a little button that says about SACS. If you click on that, some other headings will come out. And one of the first couple of headings says introduction to perception modification. I think it then says condition relaxation. If you want a little more information, go there and read that. It explains the process and, you know, it's very transparent. We tell you exactly what we do. However, the reason we do a 20-week class is knowing what we do is not enough to empower people to do it. Like, I love to go to the ballet. I know what they do. They stand up on their toes and twirl <laughs> around. I am not able to replicate that effectively on my own. Mm -hmm. I was even a dance major and took six classes a week for a little over a year and I didn't get anywhere near it then. So, um, so go to about sats and go down to perception modification and condition relaxation and read about it if you're interested. But basically, what we do is we lead the animals to look at their own mental state. Mm -hmm. And then we teach them what a mental state is and that there's more than one. And right. we teach them how to go to either of them. And then we ask them to go back and forth between the two states, because when they can do that, we know that they both understand how, what, what these two states are, how to choose them and how to get to the state on their own without me coming in and doing body work. We do all that to teach them, but we get them to the point where they can just choose, just like you choose to meditate, for example. Mm -hmm. or the opposite. So at that point, we will then start negotiating with the dogs. Now, believe it or not, 
up until this point, we do not use any extrinsic reinforcers except for bridging and praise. Bridging is uh, feedback that says, you know, that's correct, that's correct, that's correct. It's like that. And it sounds like this. Good, 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 good. And so there you have an intermediate bridge, which says you're on the right track. Good. That's the terminal, which says you hit a milestone. Good job. And uh, th that's their whole reinforcer, pretty much. Mm -hmm. So then when we get them to the point where they understand all this, now we start to negotiate with them. And we actually have a video of that as well. Thank you to Melissa. So let's take a look at that. <laughs> That's Shotzi. Oh, the video. I don't hear a volume. Or... Oh, you know what? Here we go. Let me hug it. So smart. What smart girl. We'll play it again. Yeah. <laughs> if you go on your place, then you can have dinner. Good girl, Shotzi. <laughs> Birdie, if you go on your place, then you can have dinner. So smart. What smart girls. Excellent. I if you go it. on your place, then you Okay. So what was no dinner normally like? Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> as you know, you know, they're food motivated, but it was crazy. So um, I have them go on their place and Shotzi would break it a lot. Um, but Birdie would be making these noises like, oh, like she just couldn't con wait until food was ready. And um, she still does it a little bit, but to no agree degree that she was before. Um, and yeah, I would have to like tell them to get on their place a lot while I'm preparing it. Cause I have to, it's raw food. I have to weigh it. You know, I put their vitamins in it, you know, so it takes like a good five minute process. Yeah. But to them, that's like a day, you know, <laughs> <laughs> they smell it. So um so here, you know, um, I told them that, but also Shotzi broke it once. And I told her, if you go on your bed and stay there, then you can have dinner. And she didn't break it. And I thought, this is amazing. So, <laughs> as, yeah. as one person at a seminar said, she goes, I can't get my dog to relax. Nothing I do, the dog doesn't relax. So the dog wasn't motivated for the body work. Most of them are. But this dog wasn't. I said, try this. Try telling your dog that if she gets easy on the ground, you'll take her for a walk. This was a German Shepherd. She never made eye contact or anything else. She immediately, just like these dogs, she immediately laid down on the ground and got easy. And the owner goes, wow, it's almost as if she understood what you were saying. I go, yeah, take your dog on a walk right now. <laughs> no, she, it's like the evidence is right there. Yeah. The dog hears what the conditions are, meets the condition, and the owner's still going, wow, isn't that strange? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so I just described the process normally. 
now we're going to give you the news flash. This is something we've never uh, shared this anyplace before because it hasn't happened this way. In SATs, we usually teach with opposing concepts. So rather than do a typical operant conditioning thing, which might be to show a left turn and bridge it, you know, either get the dog to make a left turn or um, lure it into a left turn or whatever, and then bridge it and feed it and do that until you get at least eight left turns in a row before you change anything. And we mm -hmm. don't do that. We teach left, right, left, right. And this is really important. The animal learns so much from the contrast. They can examine it themselves. It's like, okay, they're both turns. They're both in a direction, but they're not in the same direction. So then when you start talking about their ears and you ask them, do you have a left ear? They hesitantly often will go, oh, is this my left ear? As they move their left ear. Yes, that's your left ear. Do you have another ear? And the dog will be, what well, is this one? Yes, that's your right ear. And we're off to the races. So we're always teaching in contrast. And we will turn these dogs' lives around. They'll turn them around. We guide them, lead them, inspire them, but they make the decisions and do the work. So we've always used contrast. We've always used body work. We've always worked with the dog so that they're not in drive. But here's what we added. We know that this whole process appears to be very protective of the animal's health. Have I done a formal research study that definitely shows this? No. But, for example, the animals that I worked with at the National Zoo where I started developing these things, um, the sea lions were expected to have a lifespan of 20 years. My two sea lions lived to be 27 and either 29, 30, 31, somewhere in there for, this, for the female. And in the gray seals, the average life expectancy was 30 years. Longevity record for a male was 33 years. My male lived to be 38. My female broke all longevity records at 43. Now, when you have four out of four animals living exceptionally longer, you start to pay attention. The monkey that I had was expected to have a lifespan of 20, maybe 25 years. She lived to be 32. The Conyers, exactly same thing. My German Shepherd died just short of his 16th birthday and he was poisoned by a crazy person. My Doberman died just short of his 13th birthday and my horse and I are still going strong and she's 32. Hmm. And wow. my vet, one of my vets said, gee, Casey, how, how many more years are you trying to get out of this horse? This is like extreme old age for a horse. But 
the last time the fair was over, my horse trotted right over a swale. And the farrier just said, wow, that's amazing. Nobody asked her to do that. You know, they're expecting her to be all arthritic and, and she has a history of having arthritis, but she will run to get places and she's very joyful and she's still mentally sharp. And I want to keep this trend going. Mm -hmm. So in trying to learn about these things, not just for the animals, but for myself, my mother is 88 years old and she has some cognitive decline. And one of the books that I started reading was by Dave Asprey and it's called Work Smarter, Not Harder. I thought it was going to be a book on efficiency at the workplace, for example. Well, it wasn't. It was a book on uh, your health. Having the most vibrant health that you could create for yourself. And he talked about a problem that's been a big problem for me. In January, I was diagnosed as having diabetes and I did everything they told me to and nothing worked. As a matter of fact, I didn't get diabetes. My diabetes was not associated with weight gain. It was associated with weight loss. And I was doing intermittent fasting and keto diet and between a blood sugar of 200 and a blood sugar of 300, I lost seven pounds. How could I be in ketosis, losing weight, and have this high blood sugar? And the answer was that when you fast, when you do really hard exercise, if you get ill, if you go hungry, if you get upset, if it's too hot, if it's too cold, your parasympathetic nervous system has a one solution fits all approach. And that is it stimulates your liver to create blood sugar. In fact, it will cannibalize your cortisol will cause you to cannibalize your uh, rear end and thigh muscles in order to create sugar, which will then make you fat around the middle. Lucky us. Hmm. And if I got up in the morning and took a blood sugar, it would be 110 maybe. If I fasted for another four hours, it might go up to 160. If I exercise, like if I lifted weights, it would be worse. Wow. I could not, I could no longer fast and lose weight. I could no, not diet. I could not run. I could not lift weights. I was really frustrated. And the doctors had zero for me, nothing to help me. So this guy, Dave Asprey, is talking about how to get past that. Now, he's not the person that developed it. He's the person that helped me to find this. And it turns out that they now know that we need to do high intensity interval training. 
And my sister is ahead of me on that. And she's doing it. And you only do it for like 20 or 30 seconds for a repetition. And you get as intense as you can get for 20 or 30 seconds. And then you stop. And you rest for like a minute or two minutes. And then you do it again until you do 10 or 20 or 30 reps, whatever you've worked up to. I can't do it that long. 30 seconds is too long for me. It causes my blood sugar to spike or it did. But if I only do 15 seconds, I can not only get the high intensity exercise, which is more efficient than regular exercise, but I don't trigger the blood sugar and I do create more growth hormone. Hmm. And Dave Asprey says something to the effect of what's really important is to get as intense as you can, as fast as you can, and then immediately, as soon as you've done your 15 seconds, get as quiet and calm as you can. Intense meditation. So mm -hmm. I tried that. I tried that with my husband and my assistant, and we got you guys would have thought we were absolutely nuts. Back <laughs> we're like, okay, we didn't just do this. Okay. We clenched the whole body because you want to get as extreme as you can. And then I said, do your face, right? Like don't pass up anything, run around. So your legs are doing it. yell at the top of your lungs. So here we are all, all these crazy people. For 15 seconds, here's Dave with a stopwatch. Then we stop and we meditate. Oh my, it was profound. Mm -hmm. When we do the body work, we teach you these different kinds of touch. And it's important. The details are important because there are certain aspects to doing body work that are much more relaxing and leave a lasting relaxation, a feeling of relaxation that just stays with the animal or the person for a long time. That's what this was like. For 15 seconds of extreme effort, I turned around and then did similar amount of time to get as easy as I could. And my muscles were just suffused with this intense relaxation. It's almost like I had been soaking in warm syrup. Hmm. So then here comes Melissa. What are <laughs> we going to do with these dogs? These dogs, they want to go eat lizards. The dogs are fixating on lizards. There's a <laughs> lizard in the pool. Why is the lizard in the pool? I'm encouraging <laughs> Melissa to go save the lizard's life. <laughs> and here's how to do it. Not everybody knows how to do CPR for a lizard. I do. So Melissa goes there and she does that. And the lizard has a big hole in its gut. There's a reason the lizard is floating upside down in the pool. And the dogs are like, yeah, isn't it great? 
I know that <laughs> lizard, isn't it great? Where's the lizard now? And the dogs were like, just really focused, really up. They were looking for the next game. They were looking for the next event. They were not looking for relaxation or anything like that. And it, it gets exhausting, doesn't it? Yes. So, it so I said, Melissa, I know this is going to sound crazy. And I tell people all the time, we can often turn these dogs around in a, at least an average of 15 hours of training, which considering how long people deal with these problems without the pro without resolution, 15 hours is a walk in the park. But right. in reality, we have case after case after case where really it took us 13 minutes. If you see the Sasha video mm -hmm. on the dog arousal group on Facebook, 13 minutes and it changed this dog's life from that moment forward. So I said to Melissa, and, and by that time, Bill had come to yeah. uh, finish his work in the house and to give the dogs the treat. And I said, well, Bill's going to continue with the dogs. Maybe bring Bill in on it. And so, Melissa, you were so game. <laughs> yes. I'm like, okay, we're going to do this certifiably crazy thing. Are you ready? And Bill's uh -huh. like, well, I'd like to be ready, but I'd also like to be sane. The jury <laughs> is out on this one. But Melissa, you were right there. I was. Yeah. And we were like, because, <laughs> <laughs> and, and the thing is, guys, I wasn't thinking we were going to train the dogs with this. I was wanting Melissa to get a chance to experience how profound this was so she could use this tool right. to transform these dogs. And you can tell somebody something all day long. They mm -hmm. need to experience it. So I'm, right. I'm inspiring you to self-driven excellence, which is not yeah. me telling you what you should do, but you realizing that this is what you want to do. So we do this and the dogs come up and they're like, what is everybody doing? This is not, <laughs> yeah. I think they barked. I think they kind of ran around. Uh, but we were so busy. Jumped up. Yeah. Jumped jumped up. Up. Mm -hmm. And then and, we got um, easy. Yes. So it wasn't just Bill and I experiencing it. It was the four of us, Bill and I, and the two dogs, the two pewter pointers. And, yeah. and they, they went right in with us and it, ended up, you know, being that extreme contrast that you mentioned earlier, that it wasn't just alert and easy, like we knew it, but you kind of, you, you intensified it in both ways. And it helped, it helped me, you know, understand the concept a little bit better, but it definitely helped the dogs. It like differentiated for them. Like, oh, this is what this feels like. And this is what that feels like at a at, at, at more extreme. That contrast. Context. Yeah. And what we also know about these extreme short-term demands is that they're very adaptive. Mm -hmm. They help us cope with stress. Whether you're looking at Wim Hof's uh, cold method or 
breathing exercises or meditation or high intensity high intensity um interval training yeah. or rehit or there's just so many different examples they're all similar they have the contrast they have the extremes and, and i think oh sorry no go ahead I think that's where uh um it helps uh shotzi because she was having a hard time getting into easy but once she felt like that extreme contrast and and you know the, just the differential between the two it's like she kept choosing the calmness after that so during our session when you know we were continuing you were explaining to bill um shotzi didn't move she was in that extreme relaxation the entire time and it was almost like she got it you know it was like we saw her get it and it was fascinating. I was just so yeah. fascinated by that. I, I I was too. I'm right with you because I could see Bill's face. He'd known these dogs for years. Yes. And he went up and we kind of uh, led him into how to do a little bit of the body work, the relaxation. Mm-hmm. And at first, Shotzi was like, okay, okay, now I got to go. Like I can't take <laughs> I can't take all this relaxation stuff. And mm-hmm. we find that if you just let the animal go, within 30 seconds, they're usually backing right up to you. Can you please help mm-hmm. me with that again? And that's what happened. Mm-hmm. And he used some of the body work. And the next thing you know, she is lying completely quiet and content at his feet and the awe on his face i know yeah the he's awe, not used to that yeah he's, he's not used to that and mm-hmm. he can tell you oh yeah this was really great but when you see the expression on his face you know that this is an incredible breakthrough for these yeah. dogs and yeah. i loved what you said about it too because you're not a very flappable person. You know, you always have a very professional persona. I just loved it because you just go, this is amazing. This is amazing. This is, I was amazed too. Yeah. Like I knew how profound it was for me. I knew it was adaptive. I knew it was efficient, you know, using the contrast. Who knew that ratcheting it up would just make it so much better for these dogs, so much faster, so much more compelling. Yeah. So and like you, I had been doing high intensity. I just brought that regimen into my lifestyle for like the last couple of weeks. Yes. So, but what I wasn't doing was the meditation afterwards. So you introduced that new concept to me too. So, you know, feeling that I was just like, wow, that just upped it. Like, you know, like doing the high intensity, I did the 20 seconds and then the two minute break and the 20 seconds and then two minute break and one more 20 second, two minute break. So it's like a a seven minute total. 
of, mm-hmm. of you know, uh, well, one minute total of exercise, six minutes total of relaxation. But I just, I don't relax like you showed me how to relax yesterday. Right, right. You don't and relax like it's a job, right? You just quit working. Exactly. And I might do like a little, like, um, you know, drinking my coffee or like, you know, getting my clothes out in, in that two minutes. You know, I'm not literally relaxing. So you you show me a new thing for, for me, not even for the dogs, but just to show me how to elevate my morning routine. Um, so well, you got to keep us posted on, I mean, are you actually, do you continue to feel like that's beneficial to you? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And I'm noticing like a physical change already. And also, um, I, I feel more alert, you know, and um, more calm too. So I it's like, well, say, if I'm feeling like this, it must, you know, like I know we're a different species, but that doesn't matter. I know, that, and now I'm kind of understanding how the dogs feel, you know, after. And, and that's the point of actually doing these exercises, yeah. setting them up so that people can feel it. Yes. Rather than be lectured about it. Mm-hmm. Well, kudos to you for <laughs> taking the wild plunge. <laughs> I have been told that people will think we're crazy. Yeah, but at this point, honestly, it's so effective. I don't even care. And, you know, we're changing their lives. Like, they're just so much more relaxed now. You know, like if if you've ever had anxiety, you know, as a yes. person, it's it's a terrible feeling. And I feel like that's where the dogs are. So, you know, we're bringing them a a piece that they couldn't find before. So I honestly don't care what I look like anymore. You know, know, this is exactly what I say to people. So as an exotic uh, trainer, an exotic animal trainer, the animals, you know, they may be big, they may be fierce, they may be dangerous, but they're still emotionally fragile. If they mm-hmm. get stressed, they can get ill. They can run into something. They can injure themselves. They can uh, get beat up in a fight with somebody else. It's like, you know, we need to support them in learning how to cope and thrive with all these things. Mm-hmm. And when that happens and they have these long, healthy, happy lives, that's a major breakthrough. So one of the most important things we do, we call name and explain. That's a running narrative that we explain to the animals what is happening, what will happen, what is happening, what did happen. And uh, neuro research has shown that the most effective thing that you can do to help people through a crisis is don't lecture them about what they should do. Don't tell them, you know, don't be silly. So you you find yourself sometimes in situations with the animals where they're on the verge of a disaster. You know, your horse trailer gets hit by somebody and your horse is standing there with shredded metal all around its legs. And the horse has survived just fine. 
But if they move their legs and cut them, they're going to have to be euthanized. Or if the gorilla is rough with the child, he'll get shot. Or, you know, you name it. There's all these critical moments where the only thing we could possibly do is talk the animal down. And if we can save our animal partner's life because we dared ridicule, because we believed that they were intelligent and should be included in the conversation, I'm willing to pay that price. I really do not care what anybody thinks about me except for the people that I work with, whether they're animal people or human people, I want them to know that I keep integrity where they're concerned. Absolutely. I'm going to share information, share encouragement. And I'm also going to be honest. I don't tell animals, oh, it's going to be okay. Don't worry. Sometimes we don't know. And mm-hmm. it's just like, I have no idea how we're going to get through this, but we're together. Let's go. Melissa, I am just thrilled that we shared this exciting moment because this this is a transformational moment. I agree. It's going to change. For human and dog. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to enrich what we do and how we serve animals and people to another notch, another level. So, yay. Well, thank you for including me. Oh, of course. And imagine if you quit the class because you left your old area. Right. I know. Happened. Something in my gut just kept told me just to keep with it. Like there's something here. And and I, I believe it. So I'm glad I stayed. Absolutely. Well, hey, folks, thank you all for staying with us. There's going to be a lot more adventures, so don't leave. Share with your friends because we need your help and support to grow this podcast and get this information out to others who are just as passionate and caring about animals and their people. And to all of you, I wish you many wonderful experiences and adventures with animals. And Melissa, I can't wait for our next one. Absolutely. I'm right there with you. We'll see you soon. Take care, everyone. Thank you. Okay. I hit the end meeting button accident. Oh. Hey, fans. Are you enjoying training with Casey? Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Casey Covert on YouTube. That is youtube.com forward slash C slash Casey Covert. Also, give the podcast a like, share, and comment. Thanks for joining us. Come back for more news and views on animal training and living with animals. Stay at the top of the pack with Casey. This is Joseph Laughlin, producer of Training with Casey.
see you next time.